Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. One of the things uh, that we miss in corporate worship is that corporate part, it, especially when we're singing hymns. It's so great, and you guys probably know this, when we're all together singing and you can hear the congregation, they just uh, ramp it up a little bit more uh, when we sing those hymns. So I, re- I really miss that. Uh, I look forward to getting back together to do that. It's, gonna be a, it's just going to be glorious time, I'm sure, when we come back together and worship and, and just minister to one another, even through worshiping and hearing others worship the Lord. And it's so appropriate as I, to say that because even in today's uh, text, you know, God's going to, even though God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, to the nation of Israel so long ago about what's going to happen in the future, which has now actually already happened, even looking at something like that, the Spirit of God is going to speak to each and every one of us. And I'm confident of that, that God will communicate to you listening this morning uh, in whatever form you're listening, if it's right now or maybe even later after uh, we're completed and you go back and listen to a recording. I'm confident that God will speak to you. Um, And He's going to speak a few things to you, just as He did through the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. And I pray that you hear that this morning, that God cares for you, that God loves you. And because He cares for you and because He loves you, He is going to warn you ahead of time to avoid following uh, the same path as those that we are going to read about this morning. You know, just like any good parent who warns their child of the dangers ahead of them. Or just to be careful. I know every time uh, my children, they're um, they're adults now, the two oldest, they leave the house. I always say, be safe in whatever they're going to do and, and pray that they're safe. Just because there's so much out in the world that, you know, that can hurt them or they can stumble into. And so, you know, you're just like a, as a parent, God is saying to his people that he loves and cares for, be safe. Avoid certain paths. And so, again, I pray that you see that this morning as we go through the text. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 50, and the title of this morning's message is The Servant of God. And you're going to see a a dichotomy of relationships between God and His servants this morning. You're going to see the disobedient servant who's represented in the text by the nation of Israel in general, Uh, not the entire nation, but He addresses them as disobedient. There are those within the nation of Israel that He's speaking to that we call the remnant who are actually obedient. But the general warning goes out to all the, all the nation of Israel in the text. So we're going to see that. And then we're also going to see the obedient servant that's presented to us in verses 4 through 11 of the text in the form of the Messiah, the coming servant of the Lord. And as we look at those, I also want you to be thinking about that these, these same things are true about humanity today. There are those who are disobedient to the Lord. 
And God can use situations in their lives, both blessings and cursings, to draw them to himself. You know, he may bless those who don't really know him in hopes that they might turn to see him. And he might even bring about a situation that is not the best, might be looked at as a cursing, so that they would cry out to the Lord. So we'll see that. And then also with obedient people, those of us who know the Lord, who call upon the Lord as our Savior, God also uses times of suffering uh, to discipline us, uh, to teach us a lesson, to strengthen our faith. And not only that, He can also use blessings in our lives to strengthen our faith. You know, causing us to follow God even more because of His faithfulness and because of His uh, faithfulness to His Word. As we see blessings in our lives, we trust God even more and more. And so, as I've been saying in this morning's message, we're going to see those two things in the disobedient servant and the, obe- and the obedient servant. Let's begin by looking at the disobedient servant in verses 1 through 3. And I'll read that and then come back and make some comments about it. Let's read those together. Isaiah, uh, speaking for the Lord, says, Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions. Your mother was sent away. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that I cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. So here in the text this morning, we are are coming, uh, what's being prophesied is actually this coming captivity for the nation of Israel. Again, Isaiah is warning them what's going to happen in the future and how they're going to respond. And in these first three verses, he's really um, answering an accusation that was levied against him that Pastor Jared spoke about in Isaiah 49. So if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, you turn back one chapter and look at these accusations that were levied about the Lord in Isaiah 49, 14. And again, Isaiah is prophesying that this is how Israel was going to respond when they are taken into captivity. Look at verse 14 of chapter 49. But Zion said, and this is in reference to the nation of Israel, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So this is what the Lord is answering in verse 50. You see, the nation of Israel looks at their captivity as God's forsaken me. He's abandoned us. He's left us all alone to fend for ourselves. Or God's forgotten us. He doesn't care about us anymore. This is what the nation of Israel is saying. God left me here to die. He doesn't care about me. He's put me in this place because he doesn't love me. And maybe some of you are wondering this in your own life right now. And let's be honest, all of us, you know, wrestle with this when something bad happens to us. You know, we're wondering, is God aware of what's going on in my life right now? Is God going to help me? Is he going to get me out of it? Or why did God put me here? But are these accusations levied against God true? Does God really abandon His people? Does God stop caring 
for his children. From what we know about God, um, can you say that those accusations are true from what you understand about God's nature and character? The bigger question is, who's God's people? Because in one sense, yeah, this is true. Those who are not God's people will be abandoned, will ultimately be forgotten. But that's not until the end of their life. God gives every opportunity up until that point to heed his warning, just like he's given to the nation Israel now. God does not abandon you or does not stop caring for you until you ultimately, finally, and determined in yourself that you're going to rebel against him. And that's what we're going to see is the answer to these accusations. So back in our text, so again, here's the accusations that are levied against God. Has he forgotten about us? Again, just picture this. He's prophesying that one day the nation of Israel is going to go into captivity from a ba- from, uh, into Babylon. And they're going to be wondering, has God forgotten us? Does God care about us? Does he love us? And in verse 1 are the answer to those questions. God uses two examples to dispel this uh, accusation. He says, where's the certificate of divorce? He calls for the certificate of divorce to show them the reason that he separated himself from them. You know, in a divorce, you know, uh, sometimes on the divorce certificate, there's a reason why there was a divorce. And so he wants to show them that. It's not going to say, because I didn't love you anymore. It's not going to say, I didn't care about you anymore. What does he say it's going to say? He says, where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? And if you drop down two sentences, it it's going to be this. Behold, or for your transgressions, the last part of verse 1, sorry. For your transgressions, your mother was sent away. Mother in reference to the nation of Israel. You were sent away not because I stopped caring about you, not because I forgot about you, but because you've transgressed against me. You've rebelled against God. All through Isaiah, God is over and over and over again warning the nation of Israel to come back to him. And they continue to rebel against him, which is ultimately going to lead to their captivity. And so God is pointing that out. He said, I didn't divorce you because I don't love you anymore. I divorced you because you've rebelled against me. You've committed adultery against me. The prophets over and over again when they're speaking to the nation of Israel, when they worship other gods, compare that to adultery. And so that's, what's, that's why he's abandoned them in, in this sense. And the, he also uses another example in verse 1. He says, Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? So he didn't sell them. He, again, he's asking them a question. I didn't sell you to somebody because I owed somebody something or I didn't have another way of paying for whatever uh, it is I owe, or what I bought. He said, no, I sold you into slavery. Why? Look at the next verse, or the next sentence after that. You were sold for your iniquities. It wasn't something that God had done. It's what you had done, Israel. You were sold because you've sinned against me, your sinful behavior. The nation is suffering, God is telling them. Because you've rebelled and sinned against me. And that's why you are being taken into captivity. That's why you are suffering. 
It's not for the lack of effort or desire on God's part. And they cannot lame the blame, uh, lay the blame at the Lord's feet. It, they are the ones that are doing it. Again, as I mentioned, God has given them every opportunity to turn. He's warned them over and over again, but they continue to rebel against Him, to disobey His call. And that's what He says in, in verse 3. He says, excuse me, verse 2, he says, Where was the, Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there no answer? So you guys didn't answer me when I called. When I was warning, you guys didn't listen to me. So that's why you, are, you have been uh, sold into slavery. You never heeded my warning. And let's move on. There, there's another accusation that comes in verse 2 as well. Uh, you could see this when God says, Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or, I ha- or have I no power to deliver? So it seems that Israel might be saying in one sense, because of the refusal to listen to God, is that maybe God can't even help us, so we don't even go to Him. Maybe God's not strong enough. Maybe there isn't even really a God, so why would we waste our time going to Him? Maybe they didn't believe God could do it anyways. God doesn't, He can't deliver us from Babylon. He's not strong enough. That's what it seems like the accusation is here in verse 2. And then God answers them with this in the last half of verse 2 and in verse 3. He says, Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. A wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. God's answer is, you know what? I am powerful enough. And let me give you two examples here. He says, I dried up the seas at my command. This could be in reference to the exile from the deliverance of the nation of Israel in Exodus when he parted the Red Sea through his prophet Moses and delivered the nation of Israel. He made them walk across on dry land. He's saying, I've done this. I do have the power to deliver. And not only that, he talks about uh, putting darkness over the sky. And this could be another reference to the Exodus where God uh, made the, uh, the whole earth dark. Or it could be in reference to his creative power that I've clothed the heavens with darkness. And again, showing that he has power over the heavens and the earth. This is what it could be referencing. Either way, God's saying, I am powerful enough to dry up the sea, to make the sky dark. I have power enough to deliver you out of the hands of Babylon. Those things are easy for me. Commentator John Oswalt sums up this section of Isaiah with this comment. He says, God lacks neither the desire nor the power to deliver his people. The only issue is whether they will step forward in repentance and faith to meet him when he comes and answer him when he calls. This is exactly what God is saying to Israel. I do have the power. I do have the desire. But you guys don't listen to me. You don't listen to me. And so this is the disobedient servant that Isaiah presents to us in the first 
section of this chapter. Now we're going to move to the obedient servant in verses 4 through 11. And as you'll see, he's talking about one to come. And Pastor Jared began to mention this last week in chapter 49. And here in chapter 50, he continues on to describe the servant of the Lord. And as you will see, uh, it is going to be the Messiah who's rep- who came to us in the form of Jesus. So here Israel is looking forward to this coming Messiah for ultimate deliverance. And we now have already seen this. And you will see the parallels, and I'll give you some cross-references along the way to point out the obedient servant. And again, God is doing this to show Israel, this is who you guys were supposed to be for me. You were supposed to be the obedient servant, but you weren't. And so God uh, fulfills this in Jesus, the Messiah. So let's look at the verses here. Uh, and you'll see the, the, I think there's going to be four different parts here of how we see the Messiah. Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word, and awakens me morning by morning. He awakens me ear, awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So what you have here is Isaiah is speaking as if he is the servant of the Lord. So what do we see first? We see here that the the servant of the Lord is given the ministry of declaring God's word to the world. He's saying, I'm a disciple. I have been given this tongue of a disciple. So it's as if God's teaching this person to speak for him on his behalf. And that's exactly what the Messiah did when he came. Right? Jesus said himself in John chapter 12, if you look at verses 49 and 50, he says this, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know, that, I know that his command is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So this is an exact fulfillment of verse 4. He's saying, I know the Father. I have this intimate relationship with God the Father so much that I speak the words that he commands me to speak. And again, this is in uh, the antithesis of the servant of the Lord that was supposed to be the nation of Israel. They do not speak for the Lord here in the Old Testament. They continually mess up over and over again. And so you're seeing what a servant of the Lord is supposed to be in in Jesus Christ. He speaks what God has told him to speak, and he says that to the people in John 12. If you look at the latter half of verse 4 and the, and the entire verse of verse 5, you will see that not only does the servant of the Lord or the obedient servant declare God's word, but he also listens and obeys the Lord. Look at what it says at the end of verse 4. Uh, he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient nor did I turn back. So again, this is in contrast to Israel, who was disobedient, who did not listen to the Lord, who did not obey the Lord. The coming servant of the Lord, he's going to listen. He's going to obey the Lord. And Jesus said this himself in John 14, verse 31. He says, but I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. He's telling the people, I do what God tells me to do. I hear him. I listen to him. I'm the representation of the Father. I'm the obedient servant. And again, Isaiah is saying here, this is what's coming for you, Israel. This coming Messiah. He's the one that's going to deliver you. He not only declares the word of the Lord, but he listens and obeys. And here in verse 6, now you will see even more so how this, can, this is talking about Jesus. Look at what the servant says. He says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. All these things are, are what happened to Jesus Christ. Right? He submitted himself to the governing authorities to be humiliated. That's what, verses, that's what verse 6 is saying. He gave them their back and he suffered you know, the lashes from the whip. He allowed them to hit him, to strike his cheek, to pull his beard, and to spit in his face. You will find all that happening in the Gospels uh, in the New Testament. Jesus, the obedient servant, he, was, he willingly submitted himself to humiliation. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, the Apostle Paul, in describing this to the church, says this, And being found in, an, in appearance as a man, this is speaking of Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So the obedient servant of God, you find him, he's, He's in a place that isn't, you know, isn't pleasant, obviously, to say the least. It's not ideal, but what does he do? He submits himself to it. Not like the nation of Israel back in chapter 49, verse 14. What do they say when this is happening to them? When things aren't going right from them, when they find themselves in a dark place of their own doing, they say, God's forgotten me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about us. But you don't see that being said of Jesus. No, he willingly submitted himself even to death, to total humiliation. That's what the servant of God did. Well, why would he do that? How could he do that? Look at verses 7 through 9 explains this in our text. He says, for the Lord God helps me. This is why he does it, because he knows God's going to help him. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like garment. The moth will eat them. What the prophet Isaiah is saying here is that this coming servant, the obedient servant of the Lord, is that he trusts in the Lord to prove his innocence and to vindicate him. Jesus obviously suffered unjustly. He didn't deserve to die. But he humbly submitted himself knowing that God would vindicate him, that this is what God had planned before the foundations of the world, and he was going to trust the Lord in the midst of it. Again, comparing it with the nation of Israel, they didn't trust the Lord, right? 
Matter of fact, again, they were saying, you've forgotten us. You don't care about us. You don't love us because you allow us to get hurt or to go through hard times. Nobody has gone through the torture that Jesus has gone through. And Jesus did not say anything, the scripture says. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 2, verses 22 through 23, this is what is said about Jesus' suffering. And speaking of Jesus, it said, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus suffered unjustly. There was nothing that he was guilty of. And yet, verse 23 says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the Lord who judges righteously. And that's what we see in Isaiah Right? He's saying, hey, I'm going to let the Lord avenge me. He's going to vindicate me. Nobody has a case against me because I'm suffering unjustly. Again, he didn't take matters into his own hands, and he didn't lay the charges at the Lord's feet that it's your fault, Lord, that I'm suffering. You don't love me. You don't care about me. No, the obedient servant of the Lord trusts the Lord to prove his innocence and to vindicate him and to be obedient even unto death. So this is the, the a servant that Isaiah presents to the nation Israel. He goes, this future Messiah, this future servant of the Lord is coming to deliver you. And so obviously then there's a call to the nation of Israel to respond. And that's what we find in verses 10 and 11. Look at what it says. Who among you, or who is among you that fears the Lord? So he's saying, who out there that hears this fears God or says they fear the Lord? That obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So the call is this. Is that if you fear the Lord, he says at the beginning of verse 10, then you will also obey the voice of his servant. If you're saying you believe in God, then this coming servant, Israel, you're also going to obey. Jesus himself said this to the leaders of Israel in his day. In John 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. You can see the fulfillment of Isaiah in John 8 when Jesus says this. If you guys say you believe in God, then you also need to believe in me. This is what Isaiah says. Those among you who fear the Lord, that obey the voice of his servant. They're together. You fear the Lord and you obey the voice of his servant. So that's the call for Israel. If you believe in God, then you also believe in his obedient servant. And not only that, there's a second aspect of this. <clears throat> if you're doing this and you answer the call to respond to the coming servant, the second half of that verse says this, that walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the, in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. When you're walking in darkness, he's saying, and there's no light, what do you do? He says, you trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So, when life stinks, when life is harsh, when life is unfair, 
Those who love God will continue to trust Him and rely on Him even when they can't see what's going on. That's the picture. It's dark, there's no light, but the servants of the Lord trust in the Lord, rely on the Lord. Again, they don't blame God for putting them in the darkness. They don't say, you don't love me, you don't care about me. No, they say, you know what, I'm going to trust the Lord. I know what He knows what He's doing. If He created the heavens and the earth, He can help me in this predicament that I am in. But obviously not everybody's going to trust the Lord. And even for the nation of Israel, as I mentioned at the very beginning, this was a call to the entire nation. Only a remnant within the nation of Israel came out of captivity and truly trusted the Lord. And they're often mentioned in Isaiah. So verse 11 speaks to those who decide, you know what? Despite all of this, I'm not going to trust the Lord. Look at what he says. Behold, all you who kindle a fire who encircle yourselves with firebrands. Walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands the brands you have set ablaze. So the picture is they're doing all this for themselves. They're protecting themselves. They're going to do it their way. This is what he says. This you have from my hand. So this is coming from God. He says this is what's going to happen. You will lie down in torment. Those who ultimately continually rebel and disobey the Lord and sin against Him, those who reject the call will suffer judgment. That's what's depicted here in Isaiah 11. Okay, God's given this warning. He's given you His love by offering His uh, servant to save you. But if you reject that, then there's no alternative than for God to actually finally abandon you, to sell you away to divorce you, which was mentioned at the very beginning. He says, you will lie down in torment. Those who reject the call of God will suffer the judgment of God. And this is true even for us today. God, as I mentioned a while ago, continually calls you to himself, whether through blessings or cursings, or which I mean when I say cursings, you know, bad things that happen to us. God is using those things to call you to himself or to strengthen your faith if you're a believer. But if you're not, he's using that to call you to himself. But if you continually reject that, then you will uh, suffer torment. You will suffer the final judgment of God. So I want to close with these two points of application that are really in forms of a question. Number one, will you obey the servant of God? Again, some of you this morning don't trust in the Lord. Don't rely on the Lord. And when I say that, I mean you. Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. God has offered His Son to you to atone for your sins. He's allowed Him to suffer for your sins. But if you reject that and rebel against that and continue to sin against God, then ultimately you will suffer judgment, as I mentioned. Instead of doing that, this morning, I would, I would call on you to trust in the Lord, to rely on Him and what He's done for you. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to save yourself, in a sense, because you can't do it. And this is why Jesus came. If we could save ourselves, then Jesus would not have come to this world. Jesus would not have had to die on the cross for us. And so that offer is to you this morning. If you hear the Lord's call, then I... Pray that you would pray 
and receive him and call out to him and accept him as Lord and Savior and trust in him and give your life to him and no longer rebel against him. So that would be our first point this morning of application. The second one is this. And this is for those of you this morning who, you know, you're like, I'm already a servant of God in the sense that I've uh, accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, no matter how long you've been in the church, this is you. And you're saying, you know what? I already obey the servant of God. Then the application for us this morning is in the form of this question. Will you be a servant of God? You've already received Jesus as your Lord, but now will you go out and serve him? And so how do we serve him? Well, if we just look at the four, the four things that were talked about in regards to Jesus, all those things are applicable to our lives as well as servants of God. And number one is this, that we too declare God's word to the world. Remember in Isaiah when he was talking about Jesus or the coming servant of the Lord, he said that God has given me a tongue of the disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Those very words can also be applied to us this morning. We have the very word of God, the gospel truth, and we as servants of God are called to declare that to the world, the world that's around us, the world that we live in through our actions and through our physical words that we speak. That's the order for us this morning as servants of the Lord. Will you be a servant of the Lord by declaring God's word to the world? Secondly, will you be a servant of God by listening and obeying the Lord? Will you listen and obey the Lord? Again, Isaiah spoke of the servant of the Lord saying, the Lord has opened uh, my ears and I will not be disobedient, nor did I turn back. As servants of the Lord, we too are called to listen and obey the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're going to obey 100%, 100% of the time, because we don't. None of us do, and none of us ever will. But our desire, our, our goal in life is to do that. We want to obey the Lord. We want to listen to Him. And when we mess up, we repent of our sins. We repent of, of turning the wrong way. We don't rebel against Him. We don't blame Him, but we listen and obey the Lord. That is the application for us this morning. The third point is this. Will you be a servant of the Lord by trusting the Lord during the times of suffering? As we saw, Jesus suffered immensely, but yet trusted the Lord. Again, comparing the nation of Israel at this time in Isaiah, they didn't trust the Lord. They blamed the Lord. How about you this morning as a child of God, as a servant of the Lord, in the things that you're suffering in your life? We all suffer in various ways and different degrees and at various times. And maybe you're not suffering right now through anything. But there will be a time when, unfortunately, life happens and that means something will go awry. We might find ourselves in a, in a place that we wish we weren't in, a predicament that we find ourselves in. You know, even in this, you know, right now what's going on in our world, we find ourselves in a time of suffering in some sense. Are you going to trust and rely on the Lord during that time? Or are you going to give up? Or are you going to walk away? The call for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, turn there with me because this is a longer section I'm going to read. This is talking about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Guess what? Just because you're a believer doesn't mean everything goes perfect. 
Matter of fact, for some people, when they became a believer, things got worse for them in their life. I remember when I became a believer early on, I, I lost all my friends in the sense that I no longer hung out with them. Uh, I didn't find anything in common with them anymore. And so I was all alone, meaning it was just me and God, and I was in a really big church. And I would like just go into church and then walk out, and I had no friends. But I, I was following the Lord. And fortunately, God restored that because later on in life, as I was following the Lord and, and being at that big church, I couldn't leave the church without talking to just tons of people. God had replaced all those friends with new friends or just people that we had something, I had something in common. So in that sense, I suffered for a while, that I, you know, being lonely and not having any friends, but God restored that. That's just a minor suffering. You're like, that's not a really big deal, Robert. Get over it. Um, you can't have a bunch of friends. But I say that because, you know what, just because you become a believer doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 12. This was uh, Peter's um, encouragement to the church. He says, Behold, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. So the early church was suffering persecution at this time. He says, Which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange or some strange things have happened to you. So he's saying it's not strange that you're suffering. That's common in the Christian life. He says, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. Moving on to verse 15. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? And so here's the application point. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Basically, when you suffer for really unjustly, right? He said, don't suffer as a thief or as a murderer, right? That, therefore, you deserve the suffering that you get. But he's talking about unjust suffering, when you find yourself in a place that you didn't, you know, hey, you didn't think it's fair, you don't think it's right, he's saying, you know what, trust God and trust yourself to God who is going to do the right thing. And just taking it to today, I don't like the fact that we can't meet together. I don't like the fact that uh, restaurants and casinos and, and so many other things can open, but we can't gather for an hour on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord. That doesn't seem fair. That's not right. But God knows what he's doing. God's going to make it right. We trust God. We don't trust in man. And God's put the authorities over us who are there for a reason, and we pray for them. As I said at the very beginning of this morning's uh, service, we pray that God would give them wisdom to allow us to open up again. But in the meantime, we entrust ourselves to God. We don't rebel and revolt against the authorities 
We trust in God to do what is right. God will vindicate the church. We know that nothing will prevail against the church. Whether we have to, we, we have to meet in homes or in a public building, God is going to do what is right. We entrust ourselves to the Lord and not to men. And so the servant of the Lord will, again, declare the word of God, will listen and obey the Lord, and will trust the Lord during times of suffering. And lastly, and I kind of already mentioned it, is that the servant of the, the Lord uh, will let the Lord vindicate them. Right? We don't need to rebel. We don't need to revile and uh, you know, repay evil for evil. We're going to let God do that. Matter of fact, that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. And let's close with these last few verses. Romans 12 verses 17 through 21 says this. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The servant of God, just like Jesus, will say, You know what? I'm going to entrust myself to God, and no matter what's happening to me, whether it be it unjust, I'm going to let the Lord repay evil for evil. I'm going to trust God and leave uh, the rest to Him to avenge me. To have vengeance on those who persecute me unjustly. As hard as that is for us, right? Because in our nature, we want to get back at people. You know, we sometimes want to repay evil for evil. If you did something to me, I want to do something to you. That's our sinful nature. It is hard to sit there and take it. You know, even some of our brothers and sisters in other churches, it's hard for them to sit there and just say, you're going to shut us down. And they, they may revolt and say, we're just going to meet. We're going to open up and we don't care what you say. Well, I think Scripture is clear about that in the next chapter of Romans 13, and I'll let you read that on your own. But we believe as a church, you know what? We're going to let God fight for us, and He's going to do what is right, and He's going to open up this church when it's time. And so, in the meantime, as servants of God, we're going to let the Lord uh, vindicate us. So just in closing, again, just want to highlight those four points again. For us that are servants of the Lord, let us resolve and commit ourselves to declare the word, God's word to the world, to listen and obey, to trust the Lord during times of suffering, and to let the Lord vindicate us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are a Lord who can be trusted to do what is right. You can be trusted in times of difficulty, for you have the power to deliver for you are Lord over heaven and earth. You are Lord of all creation. And we trust in you to do what is right. We know that nothing is too hard for you, Lord. For all things are possible through you. And so, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you this morning. As a church, we entrust our entire church into your hands that you would help us, Lord, as individuals and as a church corporate to live for you, to be a glorifying servant of God. Lord, help us to declare your word in this world. Help us, Lord God, to listen and obey you. 
Help us to trust you in times of suffering. And help us to be patient and allow you to vindicate us in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have done this in the past. We thank you, Lord, that you have continued to do that in the present. And we thank you, Lord, that you will do that in the future. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.